Shalom Avracha. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. What a privilege to be learning together again after our short break. I hope everybody's doing well. I was recently in London, Besiat Rishmaya. I had the privilege of meeting a lot of special Jews. Um, wasn't really so much a community trip, although over Shabbos I spoke in a number of the local shuls, but it was mostly schools going around from place to place, a lot of different schools, yeshivas, high schools, um, across the spectrum, all different kinds of Jews, and it was tremendous. Mamish, tremendous, tremendous trip. It's always a joy to see flourishing communities, just Yidin all around the world. It's such a privilege to get out of our box, you know, and to be to see different ways of, of doing it, different 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 kinds of Yidin, um, who while different are, are all the same. We know that at the at the core at the heart, it's all the same. Um, and everybody's looking for the same thing and everybody's thirsting for the same kind of Torah and everybody's just yearning to grow closer, yearning to really get in touch with Yiddishkeit on the deepest level. And Bezer Hashem, I'll be posting a bit of like a little clip that shows some of the events, some of the highlights of the footage. It was difficult while I was traveling. It was very busy, didn't have so much time to be, you know, on top of the posting. But hopefully... I'll be sending that out as well as one recording from one of the events um, at Hasmonean uh, Boys High School. It was through the roof, just so, so special, so beautiful. So I hope to be posting that recording. Um, and before we begin, just obviously a word about the situation in, uh, in Ukraine, in Russia, or in Ukraine as a result of the Russian invasion and onslaught. Obviously, every word that we say and everything that we do and all the joy that we ought to feel because of Adar and Rosh Chodesh Adar needs to be ensconced within and encompassed by this solidarity is just a very impersonal, secular term for what I'm trying to convey. But a very, very deep heart, mind, and soul bond with all of our brethren who are stuck there, all of our brethren who are misplaced, who don't have the uh, privilege of enjoying a lot of the comforts that we often take for granted at this moment, but even broader, or more broadly, all the human beings who, for no fault of their own, are experiencing horrors the like of which none of us should ever know even an iota of. So we have to be conscious of what's going on. It doesn't mean we have to live in a, in a, in a saddened and depressed state, certainly not when... Adar is here, Adar Beis, leading up to Purim, we have to be filled with joy. There's no question about that. But we need at the same time, Mamish, to be feeling in our heart, in our soul. These are not simple times we're living through. And um, no human life is lived in a vacuum. Certainly no Jewish life is lived in a vacuum. We need to be conscious of what's happening. A prayer on our lips and our hearts and minds, constantly pondering the experience of others who are not are not worse off than us. They, you know, I bless us all again. We should only know good news and happiness and, and comfort and stability. Um, but it should be clear to you and me that th that could be us. I mean, you know, there's there's nothing essentially different. And in a moment, everything could be different. I apologize. I'm getting over a strep throat. So um, I apologize. And my voice is not as strong as usual. I merited earlier today to teach my group in Mivaseret Sion, um, and, and I hope to post that recording, as I really spent Mamash the whole session, come out, I came a little bit late, there's a lot of traffic here in Yerushalayim, the weather wasn't so great, um, but I spent the whole time speaking about this, and a lot of the nuanced uh, feelings and emotions that we should be sort of fostering, I believe, is a healthy approach, and so I'll be posting that a little bit later. We have a Torah to get to, in um in 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 avoida savoida for the tashareba but again at the same time while this is not the exact setting to delve into the nuances of our feelings and our responses and how to navigate trying to process the enormity of these events and what lessons there might be for us on a personal level still while learning it cannot be in the vacuum and it cannot be in any way uh guarded or shielded from the events that are taking place not far from our Jewish hearts, not far from our human minds. So without having been said, every word that we say should be as chus for all those who are in pain, should be as chus for all of our, all of our brothers and sisters 
And for, for, for all who are suffering, for all who are oppressed, Be'ezer Hashem, the energy of v'nahapachu, the energy of Haman's gallows being the site of his own demise, Be'ezer Hashem, should be something that stands by all of those who need it. Be'ezer Hashem. Okay, so let me share my screen and let's jump into the learning that we have for today on Parshas Pekudeh. Now let's dive right in again, Be'ezer Hashem. Look out for that recording though, because Be'ezer Hashem, still tonight, I'm going to be posting, not long, it's about a half hour, a little bit less than a half hour of uh, some thoughts and feelings on the, uh, on the situation in Ukraine. Hashem Yishmar. Okay, Parshas Pekudeh. Eile Pekudeh HaMishkan. In the beginning of the Parsha, we're making an accounting of the Mishkan. And it's introducing Moshe Rabbeinu who's going ahead and making a cheshbin, making a calculation of all that was donated for the Mishkan. Yesh Lorames. What does it mean on a deeper level? Just these three words. Such a deep lesson. And that's the deliciousness and the beauty and the relevance and the applicability, but more so the impact of Hasidic thoughts specifically is that they're not just concepts, but oftentimes they are able to be ensconced within words that are easy to understand. And then just by virtue of reviewing these words, boom, you got a lesson. So it's, it, it's, a, it's an educational tool because it doesn't leave you high and dry with just this concept in your mind. It leaves you with a key, you know, or, 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 or a key phrase that can easily enable you to review these ideas. And I'm sure it so often happens if there are teachings that particularly struck us. We could be in the middle of davening and you read three words out of a bracha and it's not just those three words. They mean what they mean on a simple level, but beyond that, they communicate something so deep, right? I'm sure you've had that experience. I know that I have. And isn't that what the whole story of the lost princess is? It's all an exercise in this. It's a container for 500 pages at least worth of ideas packed into a very simple story that all of us can rattle off quickly. But every nuance and inflection and every word and every detail is a, is a, uh, is a huge vessel containing infinite stores of meaning. These are the accountings of the Mishkan. Yeshla Rami says the Tashrebo, we can... Find an illusion in these words. On a simple level, what is these words? What does this word pikude mean? It means like we said, an accounting of, a calculation of. And he says, on a simple level, we understand that this was a calculation of what had been contributed for the Mishkan. But it means something deeper. Every person needs to have his or her life running through a constant, constant cheshbon, a constant calculation, or a means of calculation. And everything that a person does, al pi cheshbon umispar, should be calculated, should be with a cheshbon, should be with a mispar, with a limit to everything that we're doing, but not just a limit because there's a hard pan brick wall that we need to bump up against and there's no way to get past, but that those limits are more accurately described as parameters. Because parameters is, is, is a limit. A limit is a parameter. But parameters, or the word parameter, communicates this, that the limit is founded on an ideal. That's the difference between a limit and a parameter. A limit could just be a limit that's just there. What can you do? There's a border. Can't pass it. Here's the ocean. Can't get through. That's just a limit. Just happens to be there mindlessly. But a parameter means that, no, the, these, these limits are there for a reason. And we know that everything we try to speak about, the princess is reason, tachlis oriented. That's what the sphere of Malchus is. It's the reason. It's the raison d'etre. It's the, it's, the, it's the goal to the journey. And so the princess-oriented life needs to be filled not with limits, but with parameters. Filled with parameters. Everything with a cheshbet. Lishkov, lispar, as called dracha. If life is a free-for-all, and life is stam, uh, a hefkervelt, like they say in Yiddish, it's just meaningless, so then there need not be parameters. There may be limits, but even those limits can be filled with hefkerus in the sense that they don't really matter, and they're completely arbitrary. 
But a life filled with meaning must be a life filled with parameters. Because anything focused is going to need boundaries in order to enable it to reach its destination. A flood of water might gush down whatever material stands under it and that it's pouring across, whether it's rock or dirt or dust or ground, at whatever level of elevation, it'll just flow to the lowest point. That's the nature of water. Water, as we oftentimes have spoken about, is related to chesed, related to the midah of chesed. It flows. It goes down to the lowest place, to the lowest point. That's natural. That's the nature of water. But if there are no parameters, if there's no limit to that flow, it'll just go everywhere and therefore nowhere. It will go nowhere specific. It'll just flow down arbitrarily. But the more that we set parameters around that flow and we box it in, we're able to channel it to exactly where we want it to go. This is the concept of irrigation ditches, right? We want the water to flow to specific parts of the field and not simply to you know, flow throughout and therefore not have its intended impact. And so to the guided life, to the meaningful life, to the goal-oriented life, to the princess-infused life, we are going to need to have parameters. Because again, we're trying to go in a certain direction. And if we're trying to go in a certain direction, there's going to need to be a limit necessarily in terms of the human experience of space as to how to get there. Means to take root A and not root B through D, for example. It's a very specific path. Lishkol v'lispar is called drachav kegoin. Lishkol kamas ma'achalei. How much are we eating? Umashkeyu. How much are we drinking? And this goes for Purim also. It's harder on Purim, of course, because we have the religious motivation in and of itself to drink to begin with. And then while we're drinking, certainly for the men here, while we're drinking, uh, already the inhibitions are gone. And so it's much more likely to end up drinking far more than is going to be spiritually um, effective or spiritually beneficial. But even on Purim, can we set guidelines as to how much we drink? I know I certainly have an issue with this, but every year, at least I try, and I think in the beginning of Purim, how can I make sure that I'm drinking in such a way that will bring me to a place of, of, of Adela Yoda to Kedusha, but not completely wipe me out so that I can't get to the end of Purim, or, you know, etc., etc. That's a challenge. But how much are we eating? How much are we drinking? How much is healthy for us to eat? Or how much is necessary in order for the purpose of eating, to go ahead and to have its productive impact on our lives. How much sleep do we need? For what purpose? To strengthen the body. Now again, I, I use those words specifically. For what purpose? Because if there was no purpose to life, then who cares how much or how little you sleep? And if there was no purpose to eating, so then who cares how much you eat or how little you eat? Who cares? Everything just becomes one big careless exercise in meaninglessness. Who cares? But the minute that we're able to look at every single area of life in terms of our needs and our wants, and everything has a price tag on it, meaning to say everything is measured against the ultimate goal, and therefore how necessary something is, is directly and entirely defined by how useful it's going to be in helping me attain and achieve that goal, then parameters are gonna to need to be set. Because again, I'll say it again, if there was no purpose to life, then there need be no parameters on eating. Because I don't see eating as something that's serving a greater purpose and therefore much like the water that doesn't have any sort of guidelines or any sort of walls around it, it just flows everywhere. And so I could just eat whatever I want, whenever I want, how much I want, and so on and so forth. But if life has a meaning, and that's our ultimate goal is to really try to live consciously on this level and to process everything through this, the, the, uh, the framework of this meaning, 
And what that meaning is, we've discussed many times in the past, but very specifically, it's Gilu Kvod Shemaim, is to live a life of awareness, to live a life of youthfulness, which I speak about in the audio I'm going to post, Bez Hashem, about the, about the, uh, the, the, uh, the Ukraine situation. Austria, I feel like Joe Biden, you know, the Iranian situation, <laughs> the Ukrainian situation, right? Nebuch. So I, I spoke a lot about that, Bez Hashem, and I, I speak about this Nakuda of youthfulness, the youthful spirit that's going to heal the world and conflict that is a direct result of our detachment from the essential youthfulness. That's the last, last, last vestige of hope for humanity. And I believe that's what Yiddishkeit is all about. Mamish all about is to help us get back in touch with that spirit of youth. And when Yiddishkeit in and of itself and the institutions of Judaism from Torah orthodoxy, Yiddishkeit becomes smitten by the adult nature of systems and institutions, there's nothing more devastatingly ironic and tragic, tragically ironic than that. Because Yiddishkeit at its core is an anti-system. That's what Yiddishkeit is. That's what Yiddishkeit always was. It was a rebellion. And when Yiddishkeit becomes something that now we want to rebel against, as opposed to channeling our rebellious desires, which is what Yiddishkeit should be, there's nothing more youthful than Yiddishkeit. There's nothing more youthful than our Gedolim, the Tzadikim. That's, 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 that's the end. That's Mamish the end. And so we're here to reinvigorate that aspect, to refocus us. But that's what the goal is. That's what the mission is. The mission is Gilek Vod Shemaim, the Shechina, that youthful nature of the Shechina, the Kruvim whose faces were those of children. The Shechina, which until the small children left Yerushalayim was not exiled, Chazal tell us. Only when the children left did the Shechina leave, because the Shechina is the children, and the children are the Shechina. And so if that's the mission of life and that's the goal, then all of a sudden we need to put parameters in place so that we can reach that goal. So that our eating is seen as supporting that mission. And so then again, how much we eat, what we eat, and so on and so forth becomes eminently relevant. Because that's going to define whether or not this eating is actually useful in my pursuit of that goal. And the same for sleep, like he says. How much sleep we need? Same thing. We also have to be careful, listen to this, amazing thing, to calculate how much we speak. We're going to speak in a minute about the very high level of literally counting our words story from one of the tzaddikim, but for now we could just speak about what we speak about. At least that should be a cheshben. What we speak about. Are the conversations that we have useful? Are they productive? Are they high level? Are they mature? Are they responsible? Are they productive in the ultimate sense of the word? How much time do we spend speaking to people or groups or social media, which we speak about often, and what's the content or nature of those conversations? Of those conversation? If I only had one day of my life, would I be able to go ahead and spend that time in such a way? The content of our speech, not Hefker. What are the parameters to our speech? And not just to be drawn after vain speech, silly conversations that just are a complete waste of time, which, by the way, are themselves so often bound up with what we refer to pejoratively, of course, this is generalization to those who have read the book, as adulthood. Only adults go through this silly thing of making small talk. Children don't know from small talk. They just don't know from it. If I don't want to speak to you, I'm just not going to speak to you. That's it. And if I do want to speak to you, I'm going to engage in a very deep way. This whole concept of small talk, petty things. Oh, where are you from? Like, as if you're interested. It's all sheker. Okay, so maybe you have to do it. It's civility. There's something very adult about it. And it's just, I don't, I don't have patience for that kind of thing. Just shtiyot. 
unless you really, really care about people, then even the small talk becomes real talk in as much as it's just about petty things because it's a gateway in to connect to the person. That's not what we're speaking about. I had opportunity when I was in London um, to meet with a very, very high-level individual, very, very special person, a wealthy person, a person in, a, in, in, in an enviable position in terms of his profession, in terms of what he's involved with. Very, very interesting, amazing person. A Yid, very, very little connection, at least overtly, of course, with Tyra and Mitzvahs. And I was able to sit and speak with him. And like most of the conversation, I mean, I couldn't believe it. You know, we're sitting with this person. I think we spoke for like 20 minutes about dogs. Like about his dog and this, and he did, and it, and he's getting a new dog, and the old dog was so sad, and she became sick because his son went off to college, and they needed to send the dog to the hospital, and it was such a crazy thing that the dog reacted in such a way, and then she came back, and honestly, on and on and on about his dog, and again, to be polite, you know, we were sitting, we were schmoozing, I feigned interest in his dog, and we spoke, but. I knew that that's not the tachlis of why I was coming to meet this individual, is to have small talk about his dogs. Could care less about his dogs, to be honest. And likely, he could also care, care less about his dogs. Meaning to say, on some level, he loves his dogs. So, of course, he cares about them. But be'etzem be'pnimius, that's why his neshama and my neshama came into the world at this time and happened to meet each other in his kitchen was to talk about dogs? No. I know that, and Bipanemius, he also knew that. But what else is he speaking about? And guess what? Before we knew it, the conversation found its way to what was going on in Ukraine. And then we started to speak about it. It was a Pesach. Everything was a Pesach. And we started to speak about what these things might mean to us. What are the messages we could take from there? And then the conversation <laughs> really got into meaningful conversation, like actual talk. Everything until then wasn't talk. It was, it was, it was just it was nothingness. It was complete nothingness. So what do we speak about? What's the nature of our conversations? Meaninglessness. Listen to this story, but this story is not really about what we're speaking about because this story is a much higher level. I mean, it's, it's an incredible, incredible story and an incredible level. He says, And the Isaac. So on a, re- a regular Wednesday, one day during the week, he was in the middle of, co- of a conversation. All of a sudden, he just stopped. He just completely stopped talking at all. And anything that he wanted to communicate from that point on to the rest of the week, he would just make hand motions to hint at what he wanted to communicate or convey. He stopped speaking. And then Shabbos came and he started to speak again. When his students and his chassidim asked him to explain this strange behavior, Amar he said, Every Shabbos, he receives 1,000 words to say. On Wednesday of the previous week, for whatever reason, he ran out of words. 999 and then 1,000. Boom. And he was finished. He ran out of words to say. And that's why he had to wait until Shabbos when he received a new a new amount of a thousand new words to speak until the end of the week, right? So that's an extraordinarily high level. That means that while having conversations, he had some part of his brain that was allocated to counting all the words so that he wouldn't go over. And then the minute that he reached a thousand words, he needed to stop speaking because that was his allowance. That was his parameter to fulfill his goal of being the person to whom every word mattered because speech mattered, because his physical mouth mattered, because his body mattered, because his humanity mattered, because life matters. This was the high level of the tzaddik shekibu diburim sfurim ushkulim and hashemayim who received set and calculated amounts of words from shemayim.
to use to speak and to make unification. So the Fimadrik Haseinu, but upon us, meaning in terms of our level, there's something to learn from here. Even if we're not on the level to count every single word and to go through this process of making sure that we don't speak over a thousand words, I mean, I'm scared to think about if I would calculate how many words I speak in a week, like a trillion words. I'm scared. You know, who knows? I'm sure there's some app, you know, that could just run in the background and calculate every word. It's scary to think about, but that's not our Indian. But what we can work on is the content of our speech, the content of our conversations. And when you really zoom further in, the content of our relationships. Who do we hang out with and why? That's something to think about in life. It's not so pleasant because, of course, we want to hang out with everybody and we want to be friendly with everybody. When a person has a mission-oriented life, we have to ask ourselves, for what purpose am I spending all this time with this particular individual? Is it aiding my mission? Is it perhaps aiding their mission? In which case, I could speak about dogs for a thousand years if it might make one hear a tshuva on the heart of a Jew. That, that, that's, that's, that's okay. That's fine, as long as you know that that's not the tachlis, but that, that's, that's normal. That's most of our relationships. But sometimes a person needs to shift. The Rambam says that if a person is living you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a surroundings or in a sphere of influence that's impacting him negatively, says move out to the desert. Rather be alone than be in a social circle that's dragging you down. Not to be dragged into empty conversations, empty relationship, pointless, pointless, pointless engagements. Didn't Shlomo already say, the wisest of men said, When there are many, many, many words, sin will not be withheld. But somebody who withholds his lips, masculine. Such a person will grow wise. And a person who goes in this way, who goes in a way of cheshben, who goes in a way of parameters, the premise of which is that life matters, is that life is meaningful, is that we're trying to get somewhere and we're trying to take all this water and have it reach a particular destination, we're going to have to close in the guiding limits so that it will flow in the kivun, in the direction that we intend, which means the direction that our neshama intends, which means the direction which HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the master of the world, who loves us and is trying to manifest through us, intends. Because that's our deepest desire, not to speak about dogs, even if we don't know it, even if he didn't know it. It was clear to me that this wasn't what he wanted. It was a waste, you know, I can't really express to you. It was just, a, it was a nothing moment. It was nothing. None of us were getting what we needed out of that conversation. Certainly not me, but I perceived even he. Beyond, go beyond, go beyond. Our Ratzin is Lassus Ritzanach. That's our Ratzin. And this is the illusion, is the remez in these three words. It's only three words, but it becomes a mantra for life if you're able to remember them and repeat them often. This is also something unique about Hasidas, is that a person could be, uh, you know, who knows, in the middle of the summer, you know reading the end of Sefer Devarim or, or even better, you know, sometime after, after you know, after Sukkot, reading Parshas Bereshis or the Parshas in Bereshis and at the same time the person is bound to a Pasuk in Pekudeh. What Shaykhis? What does Pekudeh have to do with Parshas Lech Lecha? But the answer is, is that once the Parshas leave the, 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 the prison and the chains that we place around them by having them represent nothing other than the historical episodes that they are conveying that we read at specific times in the year and we free them from that, allowing them to become what? Allowing them to become eminently relevant, allowing their words to mean so much more than what the King James Version or even the Habdil, what the R-Scroll translation of those words is, but it becomes something that's relevant so then it's relevant to me at all times. 
And the whole entire Torah can accompany me every second of my life. Even though I'm in Parshas Lech Lecha, these three words from Pikud, they don't leave me because the message that they hold is as relevant to me during the week of Lech Lecha as they are during the week, you know, the two weeks before Purim. And this is the remez. Eile pikude. Pirish. Ima adam esnaig becholin yanov. Al pichesbin bimidov mishkal. When a person engages in life in the way of pikude, that eile, every single facet of my life, is bound up with the concept of pikude, which means an accounting, which means my life is meaningful. And therefore, there are parameters with regard to how I act and what I do, what I'm interested in, how I spend my time. Eile pikude then hamishkan. Then a person opens all the gates for the shechina to dwell within, for the youthful spirit of vitality, of sensitivity, of yashrus, of holiness, and a sense of wonder and a sense of appreciation for every detail of life, and a sense of idealism and hope, all of which are essential to Yiddishkeit. Rachmanim, Baishanim, Goim Lechasadim, all of that encaptured within the goodwill that is embodied in children, if not all the time, then most of the time. Whose hearts are still, what Rabbi Nachman would refer to based on the Pasuk, as a lave basar, a heart of flesh, taken from the Pasuk that says that Hashem will remove the hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh at the end of time. Children never developed their heart of stone yet. So all of what Breslov is, all of what Hasidus is, and I dare say, and I'm believing this more and more, the more as life goes on, the more that I learn, the more I keep on coming back to this. The spirit of youth will heal our world. Not necessarily children, but the spirit of youth as manifest in adults. And the adult frameworks that we have and have developed. The whole goal of Breslov is to remove the lave Evan that adults develop and to give us back the lave Busser that we had as kids, as children. This is the light of the Shekhinah. That's dependent on, on the degree to which we are living the Eile of our lives in a way of Pikude, in a way of guidance. And now that we're speaking about the holiness of speech, he says we need to go ahead. Ah, look at this. That's a Pele. I didn't even intend for this. This is Mamish, what we were just speaking about. He's about to tell us a Torah based on a Pasuk in Parshas Vayera. Unbelievable. Mamish, what I just said. Here comes something relevant to this conversation from a Pasuk halfway around the year. Unbelievable. Dibor Yaakov and Hachemad. Pele. Mispar, misefer rather HaKadosh, Divri Moshe, Rav HaKadosh, Rav Moshe, Midalinas, Chosyagun, Lenu, Shayat, Talmud, Haval Shem Tav HaKadosh, Venizgad, Abachek, Haval Shem Tav HaKadosh. He says, here's this beautiful Tyra from one of the Talmidei Abesht who grew up in the, in the house of the Baal Shem Tav under the Baal Shem Tav's watch, who pirish al-Masha Metzinu B'Parshas Vayera. Here we're going to learn Parshas Vayera. And it makes no difference that this week is Parshas Bikude because the whole Tyra is relevant to us at every moment. And every Pasuk is relevant to every other Pasuk. If you get to the Neshama of it, beyond the Pshat of it. When Avram Avinu is visited by HaKadosh Baruch in Parshas Vayera, Vayera Hashem al Avram, HaKadosh Baruch comes to visit Avram three days after his Mila, and the sun is super hot, and Avram sitting outside and is waiting for guests. And all of a sudden, Three individuals come approaching, walking down the path. Of course, these are three malachim. And Amr Akasu Vayaymer Avram says, Adoini, If I found favor in your eyes, please do not pass from upon your servant. And there are two levels of understanding here. 
which Rashi brings down, both of which many of us are familiar with. Rashi says, Avram was speaking to the angels, right, which he thought were people. Avram was speaking to these people. To the greatest of them. And if he'll stay, so then the other two friends will stay with him and Avram will have guests. That's what it means on a simple level. And Rashi says, And on this level of understanding, Avram's speech was mundane, right? In the sense that he was speaking to the visitors, not to Hashem. But a deeper level and a different pshat, that's the pshat of Rashi, is that this is a different pshat, is that Avram wasn't speaking to the angels. And Abraham wasn't speaking to these visitors. Rather, another opinion is that that Avram's speech was Kodesh. Meaning to say he was speaking to Hashem. Avram was speaking to the that the Shechina should remain and not depart while he went to do the mitzvah of Achim. And from here, Chazal learn. That having guests in your home is even greater than the Kabbalah, the, the acceptance and the and the and the um, experience of, of the of the face of the Shekhinah, so to speak. Two different approaches, two different levels of interpretation. But appears about the Moshe. The Haley of Moshe says, Al what the holy Baal Shem Tov said. Ki derech tzadik, because it's the way of the tzadik. Sha'af That even while he is speaking words of mundanity. And they have meaning in that sense. It isn't just that he's saying something that's irrelevant. And he's really intending something deeper. He's going shopping and he's having a chat with one of the, you know, one of the, the, the people working in the store about if a certain brand is in stock and so on and so forth. What he's saying has meaning in the context of the physical revealed world. But the derech of the tzaddik is sha'af while he's speaking those words, he doesn't become disconnected or detached from his dveikus in Hashem. Within his words is is hidden his conversation with Hashem on a deeper level. Both of these things are they're not two different interpretations in Rashi. They are one. That's why even the simple utterances of the Tamil Chachamim require learning because they're so deep. When Avram Avinu goes ahead to fulfill the mitzvah of that he shouldn't become detached from Hashem. He was speaking to the angel. He was speaking to the greatest among the three visitors. And he was indeed asking him not to pass, to stay. But while he was saying that, While he was saying that to this individual, in his mind, in his heart, he was being mechavin, that he was speaking to Hashem. That even while he was speaking to the visitors, he was also speaking to Hashem. These things are one. Nimsa. So this is an incredible chiddush because this means that these two opinions brought by Rashi are not divergent interpretations. And we have to choose one or the other. Either Avram was speaking to the angels or he was speaking to Hashem. Avram Avinu said one thing. He said this one phrase. At the same time, Avram Avinu had the kavana 
for it to have meaning in the world of the mundane, the hein l'lashin kodesh. And also for these words to have meaning in the realm of the holy, l'dabar el ha-kodesh baruch hu archim at the very same time. It's a perish It's an amazing, amazing perish. Changes everything. Because again, on a simple level, you learn this Rashi as like, okay, it's either or, Rav and Shmuel, you know, I, I don't know who, who the Shittas are, but it's either or, two different opinions. But this is a much deeper way of learning it and it changes our perception of what speech can be. That you can be speaking to an individual and at the same time you could be speaking to Hashem. And that's the biggest yichud in the world. It's the biggest yichud in the world. Takes a lot of kavana. Takes a lot of intense, intense work, consciousness. Because it's very difficult to live in those two places. But isn't that what Hasidus is all about? Isn't Hasidus about living in those two places at once? And that one shouldn't negate the other? That the princess shouldn't negate the six sons, and the six sons shouldn't negate the princess, but that both work hand in hand, not just as neighbors. But one as the soul to the other, like we're learning from Akitsa Varananu, or Bruvin Zasoan in that in that uh, in that series. So a person's in a supermarket, like we said before, and he's asking when they're gonna get uh, this and this back in stock, and in his mind he's speaking to Akadosh Baruch, who's asking when Mashiach is coming, you know? Right? It's like you know, Shlomo used to say that a person comes to ask you what time it is. Says, you really think he's just asking you for the time? He, he could buy a watch if he wanted. He's asking, what am I supposed to be doing in my life? You know, he says the bus drivers are the holiest people in the whole world because people come to them and they ask them all the time. They ask them for directions. He says, you think they're really asking you for directions? They're asking, where am I supposed to go in life? What am I supposed to do with my life? You know, so that's on a subconscious level. What people are really asking. Going back to that conversation with the Yid about his dogs, I'm listening deeply. He's not speaking about his dogs, even though he's speaking about his dogs. He is not speaking about his dogs. His mouth is blabbing on about dogs, which I'm not against. I don't mean to say, I'm not, that just happened to have been the subject of the conversation. But in relation to what we eventually did speak about, thankfully, the real him wasn't present in that. It was fake talk. He didn't want to speak about the dogs and I didn't want to listen about the, about the dogs and both of us knew it. Both of us, it was just a setting of Sheker. And then we moved from there into, into a realm of MS. But if you listen deeply, deeply, deeply to people, you can listen beyond the facade of what they appear to be talking about and hear something deeper. And so we can certainly channel that in our conversation. To have a deeper kavana, to be operating on two levels, the level of like Rashi says, this beautiful ashen. On the one hand, on the one hand, up here, ubalashin zehuchal. But at the same time, davar acher is koydeshu. At the very, very same time, it's chal and koydesh at the same point. Revealing, revealing, revealing the Kodesh within the Chal. Seeing the Kodesh as the soul of Chal. Zapirish Nifla. Kizehu derech hatzadikam akhtoishim. Shebechol devreyem imichuvanim le'inyanam amukim. Every word that they said was so deep. It's brought a story that Rabbi Nachman of Breslov had an older brother. His name is Rabbi Chil. And another brother, whose name was Rabbi Yaakov, they called him Rabbi Yaakov Hames, I believe. I believe Rabbi Nachman had a brother called Rabbi Yaakov Hames. He died very, very young, and even when he was alive, he was so gaunt and so pale and so so sickly that they, he was already dead, even while he was alive. Can you imagine? Rabbi Yaakov Hames, he died very, very young. He's buried there in, uh, in Mezhbish. Hashem should watch over all those kfarim and guard them from harm and bring back all the people who needed to flee the people who are in charge of looking after those kfarim, looking after the tzaddikim. Rabbi Nachman had an older brother, his name was Rabbeinu Yechiel, Rabbi Yechiel. And this Rabbi Yechiel was a little bit skeptical about his younger brother in the beginning. And this Rabbeinu Yechiel 
came to visit one time to Rabbi Nachman for Shabbos. And he was sitting there and he wanted to see what it was like to experience a Shabbos by his younger brother, the great master, Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev. And he was appalled by the nature of the speech and conversation at the Shabbos table. He couldn't believe it. All Sichas current events, maybe sports, uh, certainly politics, what was going on here, there, interesting things about the world, not one word of Kedusha. He couldn't believe it. He was very, very bothered by this. And after Shabbos was over, after Avdallah, he marched over to his brother's office, small room in the base medrash, and he burst in, he flung the door open, and he sat down and he said to his brother, to, 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 to Rabbeinu HaKadosh, he said to him, I, you know, I, I'm really disappointed by what I saw. The whole Shabbos, all you're speaking is divrei chulin, mundane things, meaningless things. So Rabbi Nachman told him, he said, do you remember you know, some of the subjects that we spoke about? So, you know, what the, what the conversation looked like, the shaklavataria, how we proceeded from topic to topic. Do you remember the, the, the content, the nature of the conversation? And he said, no, why? You think I was listening? What do I care about what they were speaking about? It had nothing to do with me. I was, uh, was thinking about uh, the parasha. I, wasn't, I wasn't, wasn't interested in listening at all. That's my point. Rabbi Nachman stood up. He went over to the door and he locked it. He went back to his seat and he began to recount every single conversational point that they had spoken about the entire Suda. And then this one said this, and then this one pointed out this, and then this one said, but what about that? And then this one, and he went through every single person's contribution to what appeared to be a mundane conversation and revealed the spiritual meaning behind every single word what the conversation really was about, what was really being said, what was really being asked, and what was really being answered. This is how it was by Tzadikim. From our level, on our little level, on my little level. We can learn from this at least. Speak words that matter. Don't have meaningless conversations. Just don't. If it needs to be parnasa, then it's not meaningless. It's for parnasa. If it needs to be for health matters and this and that, if it needs to be with family members because it's family time and there's you know and so on and so forth, all those things have meaning. But I'm sure that if we would stop for ten minutes and go through some of the WhatsApp groups that we're on and ask ourselves, like, it, what is this contributing to my life? The MS, the MS. It's as simple as that. And, and, and before you know it, you can cut out whole segments of time that you would have devoted to something inessential. Inessential. It happens to be that looking at the names here on the Zoom call, I know that none of us do have that experience because I know, I know all of you pretty much. Um, and, and, and I'm sure that everybody listening is not either in that bracket. But it's something we can imagine. I don't even know what the options are in terms of WhatsApp groups to stam waste time. And I, I, I don't, Baruch Hashem, I, I'm removed from that to the point that I don't know. To have conversations full length about things that aren't entirely princess-oriented, meaningless, that's a waste. That's not a life of the Shekhinah. And it's going to be very hard to channel the spirit of the, uh, the Shekhinah in, in, in such a way. It's Eila Pekude. And that's Hamishka. Eila Pekude Hamishka. So again, Ukefi Madrigaseinu Aleinu Lilmaid Mizah. We should learn from this. She'ein la'adam la'hoitzimi piv. Ki im diburim ha'masayeyim le'eskarev al-Hashem. Speak words that will draw you close to Hashem. Speak words that will draw others close to Hashem. Speak words that matter. 
Speak about things that matter. Speak words of meaning. And not just stam, current events, things. Things that aren't going to bring you close. On the contrary, things that are going to push you further away. Do a little bit more. Certainly when it comes to a Shabbos, we have to be even more careful on Shabbos. If we are to rest from work during the week, we are also to rest from speech. That what it means to say rest of Hashem is Shabbos. It means to rest like Hashem rested. And how did Hashem rest it? Well, He stopped creating the world. But how did He create the world? With speech. Just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu rested from speaking. So too we are called upon to rest from speaking. Now again, it doesn't mean a tiny dibor on Shabbos. Adar Shabbos sometimes is the only time that we have to really speak to our kids, speak to our wives, speak to our spouses. The week is so busy and a little bit here, a little bit there, but Shabbos is the time for meaningful speech. So it doesn't mean to take on a tiny dibor. At the, certainly not at the expense of our families. That's not a cheshbin. That's not what it means. Something's got to shift though. If it doesn't mean completely cutting off our speech entirely, it needs to become an assessment of what we're speaking about by our Shabbos tables. This is so strong. I've been to too many Shabbos tables Unfortunately, it's, just, it's, it's not a matter of judgment. It's just a matter of people not knowing better. Where it could have been like a, you know, a, a, a sports talk show. Like, you know, all about football or this or that and this and that. You want to speak about that during the week. It's one thing. But Mamish on Shabbos, we need to upgrade what, what our Shabbos meals look like. What we're speaking about. Even if we do speak about current events. And if current events find their way into the Shabbos conversation, the way in which we speak about current events needs to be ever more princess-oriented because that's what Shabbos is. Shabbos Malkus. That's what Shabbos is. Shabbos is, the we refer to it in, in, in the davening as Tachlis Maisei Shemayim Varetz. That is what Shabbos is. It's the Tachlis. It's the princess. And so certainly what we speak about by our Shabbos meals need to be princess-oriented, needs to be really meaningful, meaningful, meaningful. Certainly it's permitted to speak about all different kinds of things. This is not, you know, the ultimate lechatchila, of people that are chasidim and shemaisen is harim shaloy ledaber b'shabes afilu dvar mechrechim kiim b'lo shalakoyidish akan l'shoyne. The ritzadikim we didn't even speak, even things they needed to say. They would speak only in l'shalakoyidish, because Shabbos is very, very much bound to holy speech. Shabbos is bound to emes for those who remember the marathon, Hanukkah, Torah from Lakut her who made it that far in that four-hour shear where we spoke about the connection between Shabbos and Lashon Kodesh, Shabbos and Emes. Shabbos and Dibur are very, very, very connected. Shabbos is Malchus, Malchus is Peh, the capacity of speech. To the degree to which we utilize our capacity of speech correctly on Shabbos, that's the degree to which the speech that HaKadosh Baruch Hu used in creating the world manifests its potential as an expression of Hashem's desire to communicate. Because Shabbos is the Tachlis Ma'isishmai Va'aretz. As much as we profane the capacity of speech on Shabbos, that's the degree to which we're missing the boat of Shabbos, which is the purpose of creation, which means to say that we start to shut out the speech of Hashem as creation. 
But the more that we change the way we speak on Shabbos, recognizing implicitly that Hashem created the world through speech, then we become people whose ears are wide open to perceiving the speech of Hashem echoing through human, through the human experience and human existence. And that's very deep. That thought needs more work. It needs more explanation, but we're, we're running out of time. I want to end here. There's more to do in the piece. I'm going to send out the PDF. You can learn it afterwards. Be'ez HaShem printed out. You can learn it on Shabbos. Maybe by your Shabbos suda. But that, that last thing that I said is very, very deep. We don't have time to unpack it now. That's an amazing thing. But this is what it comes down to, Chavar. You see how three words are everything? It's not a whole drush on the parsha. It's, it's the first three words. No, they didn't get into Rashi's or, or Diukin. Three simple words. That's what Hasidus is. Doesn't want pilpul in like three things. Eile pikude hamishkan. That's it. Simple. Tmimus Nothing sophisticated about it. But it's the essence of life. Because it's so much easier to learn 15 Gur Aryeh's and put them together with an Archaim Kadesh and a Ranban than to actually start to live life with a little bit of respect for parameters. A lot easier. A lot harder to be simple. Like they say in Israel, Lo Pashut Lihiyot Pashut. Not simple to be simple. Eile Pekude, when a person lives with accounting and accountability to the being that brought us into the world to channel him, to reveal him, to find him. With parameters that are guiding the zerem, the flow of our lives toward a specific tachlis, then hamishka. Then we become people whose lives are bursting, bursting with the shechina, which is what the word mishkan, of course, represents. The one who is shochein, mishkan, the shechina. To turn our lives into beacons of light. To illuminate a very, very dark world. And when I say dark, I mean a very adult-oriented world. Very dark. To shine again the light of simplicity. To shine again the light of wonder. To shine again the light of humility. To realize that we're not in control. Yeah, I bless us to be able to learn this lesson really branded upon our hearts so that no matter what week it is and no matter what partial we're learning, these three words reverberate constantly in our consciousness. Eilepakude is hamishka. We should be zaycha. It's mamish a privilege to learn with you as always. Thank you for joining. Good to be back. Hope I'll be feeling a little bit better next week. I hope all of you are feeling well. We should hear good news. We should hear Basuras Taivas, but make no mistake about it. There's one way to fix the mess that's filling our news feed. There's one way. And that is the degree to which you and I as individuals are fostering the spirit of youthfulness that's needed to banish the spirit of insanity that is war. To banish the spirit of insanity that is so much of what we're witnessing. Hold on to it. Don't lose it now. On the contrary, now is when we need it the most. Appreciate the small things in life. More and more and more. Dafka at a time of instability. Dafka at a time where we're reminded how much of an illusion stability is. How much of a delusion oftentimes the structures that we consider to be so mighty and that we rely so incredibly much upon, how fragile they are. Now is a time more than ever that we need to find joy in the little things, to find joy in the peace that we enjoy, to find joy in lights and in and running water and in food in a supermarket and a good night's sleep. May we merit not just to be a part of the solution, but to mamish be on the front lines of healing our world with the help of Hashem. 
L'chaim Levracha, thank you all for joining. Wishing everybody a beautiful Shabbos. May we only hear good news. B'suris Tavis. Thank you all for joining. I appreciate it again. Wishing you a most wonderful, wonderful uh, Shabbos up ahead. Thank you so much. Oh, one, one point. I'm just seeing this message now. That small talk can be meaningful. And we're saying yes, yes. But not to get caught up in the small talk as being the essence. Meaning to say to be aware that the small talk is a medium of connection for the purpose, hopefully, of fostering a more meaningful conversation when you can share something deeper with the person. So we're not saying never to have small talk and, and just, you know, only to talk to people when it's like this supremely deep existential conversation. That's not what we're saying. But not to get so entirely wrapped up in those essentially meaningless exchanges in and of themselves to the point that we start to become convinced that that is what the pinnacle of conversation looks like because it's just not. It's just not. Oh, are you related to the Kleins from London? Who cares? Who cares if I am? Like <laughs> 15 minutes back and forth. So now we found that whether or not you happen to know these people who know those people who lived in that place. Like what did we gain? Let, let's get, let's move beyond that. You know, that, that sort of thing, right? To realize, yes, that's small talk. But now we need to move beyond that. Now we need to move beyond that. Let's share our hearts with one another. Leave Basar. Have a wonderful, wonderful Shabbos. And thank you for participating again. Mamish, brachavat, blessings to you all. Thank you.